0: Church, as I grew up, I I was a weird kid. I'm just throwing that out there right now. And if you wonder uh, how weird adults are created, it's because they started out as weird kids. So that explains who I am today, okay? Uh, In my strangeness, uh, one thing is I used to think as a child, you know, I used to look at a book. And I always wondered, you know, instead of playing, you know, like, Like shooting games with like hockey sticks in the backyard with my brothers, I used to look at a book and I used to wonder, are there any words on those pages before I open up the book? And these are the questions that I would ponder at night, and probably ask my mom (laughs) on Wednesday nights after church, about nine thirty when I was supposed to be in bed. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about this book, I, I try to, you know, barely look into the book and see are the words there when when the book's closed. All right, like I said, I'm a weird kid. Church, are are, are you ready for some philosophy? Yeah, I can tell. I, I know it pumps a, a crowd more than, you know, a philosophical question to start the day. All right, here we go. You, you've heard this question before. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? All right, immediately there's three groups of people in the room on that question, I know for sure. The first is, hey, it's 10.30 in the morning, why in the world are you asking a philosophical question? All right, I know that's probably most of you. There's a second group who says this. Well, technically, unless there is an an ear for the noise to vibrate in, there is no sound because sound is simply the catching of a vibration in the ear. I I know that's a huge number of you. And then there's a third group that says, oh, sure, I'll go with that. And those are probably the three groups in the room. In the early 1900s, uh, two smart men, one named Albert, one named Abraham, went for a walk during their lunch break. And Al, kind of tired of Abe, asked him this question. Do you really believe that the moon only exists if you look at it? Apparently, they couldn't really answer this question. And here's where the science of the day landed. And I promise this is going somewhere. I know philosophy and science has some of you tuned out already. We're going somewhere and this is important. The science of the day said that if there's no one to observe the moon at all times, it can't be proven that it always exists. How many are frustrated with that conclusion? (laughs) If it can't be observed at all times, we can't prove that it always exists. And so what these scientists are saying, and as they're talking about the tree and the moon, they're saying that if no one hears the tree fall, we can't prove that it made any sound. And if not at all times someone is observing the moon, we can't prove that it always exists. So I bring it back. Apparently, I was right as a kid. As weird as I was, it's not possible to know if the words in the book are there until the book is opened. And so I was a little bit, you know, I was kind of on the same level as Albert Einstein in a certain way. All right. (laughs) That's as close as I'll ever get. And that's the early 1900s for you with science. But 2,500 years before that, in, in about 400 B.C., people were asking similar questions. Not about trees, not about books, and not about the moon, but people were asking similar questions about God. I'm going to read this from Malachi, excuse me, Malachi 3, 14 and 15. They are saying this You know, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And so we're gonna be in the book of Malachi again today. Pastor Pat got us on the book of Malachi a few weeks ago and I'm rolling with it. And so in other words, here's what the people of Israel are asking. Not about trees, not about books. They're asking this. If we pray and things don't really change, does God even hear our prayers? If we obey God's commands, but we don't see any difference in our lives, is there really a God at all? Are we just trees who fall and no one hears? Sometimes I feel this. Sometimes I'm I'm tempted to believe this on days where it feels like my prayers are either, I don't know, hitting the ceiling unanswered or it's just a lot of no's in a row. Sometimes I ask this and you you see the title on the screen. What's the point? What's even the point of all of this? And, And really church, the question that we're gonna be answering today is what is the point of serving God when those who don't serve God seem to have the same quality of life as we do. What's the point of serving God if the people who don't serve God basically seem to have the same quality of life as you and I? That's what we're going to be answering today. And so again, we're, we're back in the book of Malachi. Maybe some pronounce it Malachi. Maybe the Italians in the room pronounce it Malachi. It's Malachi. Malachi. <laughs> And this book, this book itself is sobering, all right? As one commentator was speaking, as I was reading it, Israel's not doing well in the time of Malachi. In other books of the prophets, Israel is, is failing, but sometimes they're willing to at least repent and admit their sin. But by the time of Malachi, the people are just numb. They're just apathetic. The prophet is speaking and they don't really seem to care. And and it's actually pretty bad because not only are they not responding to the prophet, but the whole book of Malachi is how they're arguing with God. And God, in his goodness, and his mercy, is actually answering their arguments. And so today we're going to look at the final argument in the book, which is going to answer that question, what is the point? And so if you'll join me, we're going to be in Malachi chapters 3 and 4. Again, we're going to start, we're going to reread Verses 13 through 15, this is the people's accusation against God. This is their saying, what's the point? Here's what it says. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? And so God again says, you've said that it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? (laughs) But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. This is what the people are saying. What's the point? And God in his mercy again is gonna answer this. And I believe with with four points today, he's gonna answer four ways. And this is the first one, that God hears his people. All right, he's answering, what's the point? The first is that God hears his people. Let's look at the first half of verse 16. This is God's response. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. The Lord listened and heard. This is the first answer. God hears his people. This doesn't say that the faithful were praying or talking to the Lord in a prayer meeting and and God heard them. It says that they're talking with each other. Those who feared the Lord are talking with each other and God hears them and he listens to them. We all know that there's a difference between hearing and listening. Right, husbands? <laughs> right, wives? We know there's a difference between hearing and listening. I heard what you said. You know, I used to hear babies scream. Okay, I used to hear babies scream. Now, I listen to the scream to see if it's something that I have to respond to or some other poor parent has to respond to. There's a difference between hearing baby scream now that I have one. And church, God hears our prayers. We, we can be sure of that. There, there's, no, there's no lapse in the communication from our lips to his ear. God does hear, but not only that, he listens. There, there's, there's a digesting. God is digesting our prayers, and he listens to them, and he cares what we say. God is listening to these people speak among each other, and he cares and listens. And so we could be sure, that that's, that's our first point today. God hears his people. God hears you when you pray. Not only does he hear and listen to his people, but look what else. We're gonna see that God remembers you. God remembers his people. Let's read the second half of verse 16. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Not only does God hear and listen, but God remembers you. Those who feared and honored the Lord. There's a book being written down. There's a scroll being written down of those who feared the Lord. The deeds of those who feared the Lord. All right. So as you're falling asleep at night, you know you're you're, you're laying there. Maybe you went to bed a little bit later, and all of a sudden. How many, how many, as soon as you lay down, a, a whole list comes to your mind of things that you have to do tomorrow, okay? You're trying to fall asleep at night, and, and something, oh, man, I have to do this in the morning. And if you're like me, you better write that thing down, or there's no shot you're going to remember it in the morning, right? And so maybe if you're over 50, you use a sticky note and a pen. If you're under 50, maybe you use your phone. I don't know where you land on that, Okay? But what what you need to remember better be written down, and there's no way you're going to remember it in the morning, especially if you're a guy, probably. I'm sure our memories are worse. And so what they're doing, their good deeds are being written down before God, not because God can't remember, but God is choosing to remember what his people are doing, right? So just last Sunday, some friends and I, we had the opportunity to go. I don't know if it's an opportunity, actually. I'm not sure if it's an opportunity or punishment. We ran a half marathon, Okay. So last Sunday, we were down there, and I didn't know that all the way through the 13.1 miles that there were going to be photographers along the way. I didn't read my email. Um, and so once I'm running, I'm like, oh, that's cool. There's photographers taking, you know, I'm sure they're going to, you know, put these on their Facebook page or something. I didn't know that I was going to be receiving an email of like 45 pictures of my face throughout the race, Okay. And so, you know, you could look at our our first picture here. This is at mile 0.5. You know, I'm looking pretty good. I got a smile on my face. There's not much sweat on my head. And, uh, you know, generally things are going pretty well. Unfortunately, um, the photographer captured me all the way throughout the race. And so mile 0.5, smiling Noah, doesn't look exactly like mile 13 as I'm crossing the finish line, as you'll see next. <laughs> um, I was so naive on mile 0.5. I got this. Right? And now, now I have 45 pictures. I got a book of remembrance written down of me at that half marathon. And picture number one says, oh, yeah, remember that time that I ran a half marathon. That was fun. Picture two says, oh yeah, remember how I didn't train for a half marathon and thought I could do it? Based on both my time on the picture and my face. I was really trying to get the picture, uh, uh, the time off the picture, but it turns out you gotta pay two bucks. So whatever, I'm slow. My, My half marathon was slower than the guy who finished the marathon in first place. So yeah, and so now there's a, there's a remembrance written down. I'll never be able to forget it, and I'm sure that's gonna show up as blackmail someday. Oh well. <laughs> and like this church, the deeds of the faithful are recorded in a scroll of remembrance. They're written down before God. In other words, He chooses to remember those who fear Him. And so remember, we're, today we're answering the question what's the point? What's the point of doing this? Well, so far we, we see that God hears and He listens. And secondly, God remembers our deeds. He chooses to remember. But not only does he hear and remember, he does more. He'll see that God treasures his people. Let's go to verses 17 and 18. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has a compassion on and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We see here in this passage that God treasures his people. I'm here in the Bible app somewhere. I love it. All right. God treasures his people. So God says, on the day when I act, on the day when I act. So like, when is the day? Was the day in, in 400 BC? Was the day when Jesus came? Is it someday in the future? I'm gonna say, when, when, when he's talking about on the day when he acts, this is a future day. This is the judgment day where God separates the righteous from the wicked. Until that day, his people have been and will continue to be intermingled with the wicked. Okay. This future day, this day is in the future. Until that day, the wicked and the righteous have been and will continue to be intermingled. You know, just this morning, as every other godly churchman should and does do, I was sitting in the donut drive-through at about eight fifteen this morning, and I'm sitting behind a car with the with the sticker maybe you've seen that says coexist with uh, religious symbols of all kinds. Right? It's got like the the Islamic moon and it 's got the the Christian cross, and it 's got all different types of symbols in it, and you know I used to get upset. I used to be like, "No, <laughs> we will not coexist, but the reality is until that day, until there is a separation day, we kind of are stuck in this coexisting world where there are many gods that are worshiped, there are many people trying many things to get to many different types. Of God's. And on the, until that day, we are kind of stuck in this coexistent mentality. That doesn't mean we don't believe that, that Jesus is the only way and we're going we're gonna to fight for that, right? But until that day, that we're kind of stuck in this coexistent reality. And so for us, this is a future day as well. And, and the Lord said, this is our hope. The, the Lord says that they will be my treasured possession, they will be my treasured possession. You know, the King James Version, maybe if you have the King James Version with you today, it says jewels. The Lord uh, says that they will be my jewels, and I kind of like that. Just like jewels, he's going to spare those who fear him on that future day. And so, so one scholar writes this about jewels. He's, he says this, it's a spiritually low time for Israel. The priests and the people were steeped in corruption and mediocrity. Remember the, the lame sacrifices, the three-legged sheep. At the same time, God always has his jewels. Even if everyone around you turns away from the Lord, you can still be one of his jewels. And there are several ways that Christians are like jewels. Check this out. They're hard and durable. They're prized for their luster. They're prized for their rarity. They're made by God alone. They're of all different sizes, yet they're jewels. They're found all over the world. They're associated with royalty. They're protected. Some are hidden and undiscovered, and some are not yet polished. I like that list. Those are some ways that maybe Christians are like jewels, like this treasured possession of God. And God says, They are my jewels. They're my treasured possession. And so on that day, these jewels, he says that he will spare. And this is the hope, this is the whole thrust of my message today. He will spare us. Just like a compassionate father. Uh, spares the son that he loves. That's what the scriptures say. And so I know I've shared this story, but it's just in my mind. Um, you know, ninth grade Noah, <laughs> okay, I was, I was a weird kid, I told you that. And I, I was not an outwardly rebellious child, I was an inwardly deceitful child, okay? <laughs> that's who I was at my worst. Um, and so I wasn't the guy that's like, mom says don't get a tattoo and I go get a th- neck tattoo. Right? I was a kid that says, okay, yeah, cool, cool, and I'm doing things behind the scenes. When I read the story of Jacob, I'm like, that's me. Forgive me, Lord, for who I am. But in my ninth grade days, you know, one day I'm sitting at home uh, playing NBA or something on my projector in the basement, and I decide, you know what? I think I saw the same projector at school. And so in my deviousness, I decide, what if I brought this remote to school and just like, turn it on right in the middle of class? I wonder what would happen. I wonder if it would work, and uh, kids don't get any ideas, but it does, <laughs> it does work. And so, for whatever reason, I told one of my friends, and he gave me the signal that it was the perfect time for my ninth-grade English teacher for me to just just click the on button. And as she's teaching, all of a sudden, bang, blue light right in her eyes, and she's like, "Where did? How did that happen?" You know, and people are kind of laughing, like, "How did it happen?" And you know, so <laughs> basically, my teacher never said it was my fault she never knew it was my fault but somehow she did you know how like 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 moms just know things and uh, she never confronted me but apparently at my parent teacher conference she told my parents that I think Noah is playing pranks on me and in that day when my parents got home from the parent teacher conferences um, all I can say is I'm thankful that my dad my mom had compassion on me all right um, and I think basically it's because they kind of thought it was funny, but for today, for this example, it was because you know, they, they chose to love me, to have compassion on me, because I was a son that basically mostly served them and did the right thing. In the same way, right, the, the people that God will spare aren't going to be spared from judgment because they're perfect and spotless and never made bad decisions, but rather because they fear the Lord, they honor him, and God treasures those who, who fear him and serve him, all right? And so lastly, let's see the final answer to the question, what's the point? We see that God hears and and listens to our prayers. We see that God remembers his people. We see that God uh, says that you'll be my treasured possession, and then lastly, this is my favorite point of all, God will eventually heal, and here we go. This is chapter four, one through three. God says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Pastor Pratt definitely preached this over Christmas. I hope you remember it. The last point is that God eventually will heal you. God will heal you. God's promise is that he will indeed heal his people, those who are faithful to him. And and though this is something that brings God glory, he says uh, it's not necessarily something that we like to talk about in 2023. It's not politically, religiously correct, if you will. But he says that he's going to destroy the evil ones, like completely, like, like, like the morning after a fire goes down and there's just ashes, there's just rubble left over. That's what he says he's going to do to those who are wicked. But for those who fear his name, he says, the son of righteousness will heal you. <laughs> you'll frolic like a well-fed calf and you'll trample the wicked. Praise God. What's he saying? For all of us who are wondering, what's the point? Why do I serve God if the wicked seem to be doing just as well without Him? This is why. In this temporary place called earth, the wicked do prosper. And that's a, that's a reality that we see from the very beginning, from, from the time of Job and Noah all the way through now, the time that the, the wicked prosper. You know, just a, a little while ago, my wife and I were walking through Boston, the Boston Marina, and it's right on the ocean. And there's these beautiful big uh, yachts and these apartments that had to be $5,000 a month. And I'm just walking around like, wow, there's some serious moolah in this marina right here. And I see this boat, this beautiful boat. I don't know how to read sizes of boats, so I'm going to guess, I don't know, 75 feet maybe. Beautiful boat. And I'm thinking, wow, that, that, that is one nice boat. And you know on the back of a boat, everybody seems to put a name on the back of their boat, Right? The name of this boat was Problem Solved. Problem Solved. And my poor wife, you know, we're walking through a marina and I was like, Problem Solved? What do you mean Problem Solved? This, this boat doesn't solve anyone's problem. This man's paying for his boat while it sits in the marine. It didn't fix his problems. And she's just like, okay, you know, we're just walking. But but I start to see and I start to think like this boat can't solve any problems for that man. In fact, it might have created another problem because it's always dirty. You always gotta fix it. Every boat owner will tell you that. And it costs so much money. This guy's got to work himself to death just to pay for it to sit in the marina in Boston. It didn't solve any problems. And I, and I start to think, that boat's not going to solve any problems for that man right now, and it's not going to solve any problems in the future. Or what is he going to do on judgment? He's going to say, like, good thing i got this boat to save my problems. I'm going I'm to ride away from God. Right? That doesn't happen. And, and the reality is the wicked. They do have enough money. They do have delicious food. They do have big boats. They do have the same pleasure that we do. You don't have to be a Christian to have a good life. That's called common grace. God gives grace to this world that that whether you serve God or not, you probably got clothes, you probably got food, you probably got a house, and you have what you need, mostly in excess, especially in our country. You don't have to be a Christian to have a good life. However, what's God saying here is eventually it will run out. Eventually that grace will run out and that problem solved boat isn't going to solve any problems. It would be hilarious if that was a, that was a Christian man. I'm ripping on this guy. He's like, actually, I do have Jesus. Okay. But but what he's saying, God is saying is eventually those things are gonna run out. Eventually there is going to be a separation. Eventually there is no more coexist. Those who live for themselves will be treated as such. And those who live for God will be treated as such. For those who haven't served God, they'll be destroyed. And we know that this is being eternally separated from God forever in hell. And that's what they chose, right? You don't want God. You don't have to have him. You can be separated from God for all of eternity. And that, that should break our hearts. But for those who have God, for those who do choose God, for those who do fear the Lord, God says that you will be healed. The son of righteousness will rise with healing and it's raised. And eventually you will be permanently and eternally healed. Raise your hand if you're looking for the day that you're going to be permanently and eternally healed. Amen. Amen. No longer will there be pain of death. As we're talking about this morning, no longer will there be pain in the body. No longer will there be tears in the eyes or a broken heart. No longer will there be a struggle of just making it through another day. You'll frolic like a well-fed calf. Okay, you know I'm the animal guy video and I wouldn't go there except that Malachi started it, so we're going to it, okay? Watch this. Do you know what a frolicking calf looks like? Okay, you and I, suburban people, the only time we ever see cows, they're just laying in a barn and eating more. That's all we do see. You ever seen a cow run and frolic? Let's watch this. Okay, these cows have been cooped up in the, in, the, in, the, in the barn for six months, it's finally the warm day. This is what I look like early spring, I'm telling you. Look at these guys go. You ever seen a cow even run and frolic? Look at this, he's going, he's pumped up. Or I should say she, that's a she. Okay. This is, this is not my language. If, you, if I brought up frolic like a well-fed calf, you'd be like, you're, we know you're weird no, but that's weird, weird. This is Malachi bringing up, you're gonna frolic like a well-fed calf. Okay, hey, what's the point? You and I will be spared, we will be healed eventually. And, and you know, there are many times on earth, we don't have that type of joy yet because we're not in the presence of God. But if you can relate it all to a cow, oh, I can't wait for the day to be jumping for joy like a cow who hasn't seen grass in six months. <laughs> Someday this struggle that we go through to serve our God is going to pay off. It's like an eternal 401k. It's an eternal 401k. You look around, and sometimes with a 401k, you look around and you see people spending money, $650,000 houses, $200,000 cars sitting in, the, in their driveway, and you're just like, how in the world do you afford that? Right? And, you, and, and maybe at the time, they're, they're, they're not making future investments. They're making right now investments into their life. And so when spiritual retirement comes, and I'm not talking about retiring from, from evangelism, I'm talking about being with Jesus, Right? Good luck to those who used their youth to live it up and made no investment for their future. Right? I, I see serving the Lord, I see fearing the Lord as an eternal <laughs> 401k. And, and for those who feared God, your investment is secure and it's eternal. Praise the Lord. And it's not going to run out. You know, you don't have, there's no amortization schedule. If I said that right, I don't know. It doesn't run out. And so those are our four points today. God remembers and, he, and hears. Uh, I'm sorry, God hears and listens. I don't remember what I was saying. God remembers, God treasures, and God eventually will heal. And so what's the point of all of this? What's the point of being faithful in the silence? You know, after this book Malachi was written, for the next 400 years, God doesn't speak. There are no more prophets until really the time of John the Baptist and the time of Jesus. The people don't hear from God. But I wanna say this. A lack of blessing from God and a lack of hearing God's voice never allows us to lose our faithfulness. Whether God is speaking or God is silent, we must remain faithful. And church, what's the point of remaining faithful in the silence? Maybe some of us here today feel like a tree that's fallen in the woods and nobody heard. Maybe you feel like a calf who's been cooped up (laughs) while everyone else is running in the grass. Maybe you're struggling because you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, but you haven't seen God move according to what you've asked. What's the point? Here's the point. Despite the nose, maybe to your prayers. Despite the bigger boats in Boston. Despite the moment where God might feel completely silent to you. In his timing, when we stand before God, you will be spared. That's, that's the point. Despite all of the hardships in life, that day you stand before God, you who fear the Lord will be spared. To the people of Malachi, fearing God and honoring Him was what they were required to do. They're in a different covenant. For you and I, we're under the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus. And so, what do we do that we might be spared? Maybe for those of you who you're believers and you've you've placed your faith in Jesus, awesome, right? This is what this is what the Scripture says. How can we be spared? Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, spared. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. A few verses before that, how? Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you're saved, you're spared. Church is not, how do we be spared? Is it by going to church weekly? No. Is it? Is it by completing the root of class? No. Is it by getting baptized? No. Is it, uh, you know, stop, you know, ending your alcohol addiction and stop smoking cigarettes? No. Maybe these things are good, but believing in Jesus is how we can be saved. And I wanna ask, have you made that decision in your life today? Have you made that decision? It's the most important decision that you can ever make. You can agree with all I've said. <laughs> you can look forward to the day of jumping like a calf. Okay, you, you, can, you can sing the songs in church. You can raise your hands. You can be excited You can even give 10% of your tithe and income. You can bring candy and put it in the bin. But that stuff won't spare you on the day when the Lord comes. It's not by stuff you do. Jesus alone can spare you. Jesus alone can save your soul. And church, that's the good news. You know, sometimes when people say, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Well, I gave you the good news. The good news is that you can be spared. You will be spared for those of you who fear the Lord. Now, here's the bad news. That place of no tears, no pain, no death, and frolicking calves is not here. <laughs> it's not this life. That's the next life. That's, when, that's our eternal life. But right now, we're in that pre-life. We're in that, that in-between. And my hope is this, church, that we will be found to be a people who are faithful even in the silence. Will you still love God, even when he seems to leave your prayers unanswered or just no? Will you still love him when all your friends are in college and they don't really do church anymore? Will you still love God then? Will you still love him even after your divorce has stolen so much from you? Will you still love him even through an unending sickness? Will you still love him even when he seems silent? My question is, will you be faithful in the silence? I came across a story of a man named Gene Birdwell. I believe his picture should be on the screen. And the story says this, when a 22 year old American aerial gunner Staff Sergeant Gene Birdwell, he stepped off a plane in Manila, Philippines. He was shocked to learn from from a correspondent of the Associated Press that he was a principal figure in what they call (laughs) the Enoch Arden cases. Birdwell Birdwell was declared dead by the War Department, but was actually just a prisoner of war. And while he was in the hands of the Japanese, his pretty 19 year old wife married his uncle 12 days before she learned that her husband was still alive. Birdwell knew nothing of this strange situation until he was confronted by a reporter who sought an interview, I'd imagine. Birdwell, at first, would not believe the story or thought it might be a case of mistaken identity. But when all the details were supplied to him, he looked dazed. He grasped the side of his Jeep. He drew his hand across his eyes and mumbled. It's such a shock, I don't know what to say. We were crazy about each other. Only last night I was reading about another American soldier whose wife remarried in the belief that he was dead. And I thought it would be hell to have that happen. The story ends up good. She divorces her uncle husband or whatever and eventually gets back with Jean. But but church, in the same way, in the time of silence, right, Jean's wife decided to go after somebody else. She thought he was gone. And in the same way, the people of Israel here in Malachi, they ran off, they found someone else because God didn't seem to be there. But the reality was Jean was never gone <laughs> And God was never gone from the people of Israel. He never abandoned them. They went and found someone who was closer and easier to love. And church, I, I just want to encourage you. Let us not leave our first love in the same way that Gene's that wife gave up hope on him. Even in the silence, let's hold on to the promise that we find in Malachi. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. He does hear, church, no matter where you find yourself today, maybe you feel like it it has been a hard season. That's a church word, a season in your life, a hard few years in your life, maybe a hard month. He does hear. He does listen. He does remember your deeds. He treasures you, and eventually, eventually, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, he will heal you. He promised it so. And if he promises it, I believe it. So whether you've fallen, whether you, you've been let down, whether you, you're, you're crushed, you're exhausted, or you feel somewhere in between, God does exist, even when you can't see him, and he does hear you. And so I urge you today, church, remain faithful in the silence, and one day, all will be made right and restored, and by God's grace, and Jesus's blood, for you who fear the Lord, you will be saved, amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that even while we're on this earth and when things don't make sense, Lord God, you have not abandoned us. You have not looked the other way. You will not just leave us on our own. But Lord, someday, Lord, you will will spare us. And Lord, in in, in this in-between space, Lord, as we look around, it seems like whether we're righteous or wicked, Lord, the life looks the same. Lord, our hope is that we will serve you and Lord, you will spare our souls, not because of what we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus and our belief in him. And Lord, I pray that you encourage your church as we go out today. Oh Lord, to, to one, to share this, this hope. Lord, for those who will be separated, God, give us a, a tongue that will uh, be bold in speaking the truth that there is, a, there, there is only one way to be spared. There's only one way to be saved. And for those of us, Lord, who are beat down, who are wondering at times, what's even the point? Lord, I pray that you will remind us that the point is we eventually will be spared. And so you can have it all. Lord, you have everything that we are. Lord, encourage your church. Bless us today as we go. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen.